famous passage there, an interesting passage. Jesus asked his followers, who do people think I am? And they told him, well, they think you're all sorts of different people. And then he asked them, but who do you think that I am? And Peter made the famous confession that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This year, our theme for Sunday mornings is living by the book. People have all sorts of answers for how to live. If you ask people how to live this life, they'll say all sorts of things. But we believe that this book has the answer for how to live. Believing what we do about this book, that it is from God, uh, we've set out this year to try to learn how to live by it better. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and praised them and thanked God for them because he said, when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. And it's a work in you who believe. Uh, we believe that this book is actually the Word of God. And if so, it's got the best advice, the most reliable advice, the uh, perfect advice for how to live life. So that's what we've set out to do this year is learn to live by the book a little bit better. And we started with our first series, uh, Living Eternally by the Book. Uh, because actually it's the most important thing we can learn in this old life is how to prepare for eternity and how to be ready to live eternally with God. Our, our, that's our purpose in this series, is to learn how to live eternally with God. Our method is just to follow this book. Um, once again, men have all sorts of ideas. You ask men how, how to be saved, how, to, how, how are you going to get to heaven? they got all kinds of ideas. Uh, but we're consulting this book. We're working through it step by step to see what it says. Uh, we're not following the word of men, but the word of God about how to get to heaven. Uh, we made a plan when we started, and our plan starts with the first step is we're going to make sure that we know one part of the book. And we've learned a little different part of the book every year. We're not going to memorize the whole Bible. We don't even have to read the whole Bible. To learn how to live eternally by the book, uh, we're going to learn one little part, know that well, usually it's one verse, uh, and then speak that part and act that part. So the first thing we looked at uh, was John 3.16. That was our first part of the book that we wanted to know. Famous verse, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there's where we have to start. We have to believe in him. And we went through that word by word and hopefully understand it and know it a little bit better. Hopefully some of you have been speaking that verse for a couple of weeks and it's becoming more part of you. The next thing that we looked at was Acts 3.19 last week where it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The repentance part of things is something that we were a little confused about maybe when we started last week, uh, but I hope it is more a part of us now and we know what that term means and what this verse meant, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Today we pick our third little part of the, the book that we want to know, and it comes from Matthew 10, verse 32. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men... 
Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, there are a lot of other verses we could have picked that talk about confession. And we'll look at some of them as we go through. But uh, I picked this one as our one to remember. This is the part we want to know. Whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, to know this verse, obviously there's only one tricky part in there. We know what all the rest of it means. But confess, we've got to figure that one out. If we know what confess means in this verse, then we'll know this part of the Bible. So, I put on your handout the, the Greek translation, interpretation of the word confess. And it literally means to say the same thing. It literally means to agree with something. To acknowledge the truth about something. If there is a truth and you agree with it and you say that, you confess that. That's what the word means. Uh, I put a lengthy definition there from uh, Vine's dictionary, uh, and it uses both Matthew 10.32 and Luke 12.8, the same statement. And it talks about the construction of the verb, uh, and the case, and the person pronoun, and all that, that you don't need to understand the Greek. To, uh, Vine figured that all out for us. We can just read what he has to say. And he says that it's got a special significance here to confess in a person's name. Now remember, we started talking about believe in him. Now this says we have to confess something in his name. And the suggestion being, it make a public confession. So Vine says this statement conveys the thought of confessing allegiance to Christ as one's master, as one's Lord. Confession in this context that we're looking at today is not about confessing sin. It's not about going to confession, which some of the religious world talks about. Uh, it's the same word, but that's not what this is about. When we do wrong, yes, we're supposed to confess sin. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, this is a con confession, an agreement with something as a condition of salvation. All three things we've looked at are conditions of salvation. That's what we want to learn. How do you live eternally? By the book. Uh, taken most literally, this word means I agree. And we'll talk about what you agree with in just a moment, but it means I agree. If you take a statement, and if it's true, I can agree with that. I confess that. You might use another word. I declare that is true. You might say, I proclaim that is true. You're agreeing that something is true. Now, just like repentance, we may have a little wrong idea of confession. Um, I googled for pictures of confession. And almost everything that came up was a confession box with a priest and somebody else in it. Now, that's what you get if you google pictures of confession. But it surprised me on all the pictures that came up. One came up repeatedly. I don't think it will very many months from now, but right now it came up repeatedly. I found this picture under confession. <laughs> For those of you listening to the tape, it's Lance Armstrong on the Oprah show. Now, I repent for putting Oprah up here, but... <laughs> Hopefully all this will be forgotten soon. But I think it illustrates something. 
Uh, for years, everybody almost had said that Mr. Armstrong cheated. And all, I think everybody probably knows the story. Famous bicyclist and won the Tour de France a number of times and all that. But almost everybody said he cheated. He used drugs. He used performance-enhancing drugs. And all kinds of people testified to that. And gave personal uh, testimony that they'd seen him do it and on and on. He cheated. Well, for years, Mr. Armstrong said, no, I didn't cheat. He said it repeatedly. And every time a new charge would come up, Lance would say, no, I didn't. In fact, he would fight the people that said it. He would sue them. He won civil lawsuits. He got paid money because he said they were lying. That's what happened for years. Now, all of a sudden, on this day that you see in that picture, what did Mr. Armstrong do? He finally sat down and said, I agree with what everybody else has said. I confess that that's true. I agree that that's true. Now, in one sense, he was confessing sins, but that's not the way we're using it here. He agreed with what the truth was. For years, he disagreed with what the truth was, and he finally agreed one day. Now, that's very similar to 1 John 1.9. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. It means if we agree that we've sinned. You know people that sin and don't admit it, don't agree? There's nothing wrong with that. I can do that. I just want to be happy. And they disagree with what this says. That's what confessing sin is, is agreeing. Okay, God says that's sin, and I agree. I did it. It was wrong. Now, we're talking about something just a little bit different today, a little different context, same word. But we're talking about confessing something is true. Think of it as the, how many of you ever said the Pledge of Allegiance? Everybody has said that. What, what you say is, I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic, mainly. To the republic for which it stands. I agree that this country is a great republic. I agree that I have allegiance to it. That's a confession, if you will. A pledge, a statement, expressing an allegiance, professing faith in something. Okay? So that's what the word means. Now we know what confess means. Now let's think about how we do this and what's involved in it. And let's look at some key points about this profession of faith or confession. First, what do we confess? Well, one thing we confess is that Jesus is the Christ. And if you know what the Christ means, it's another word for the Messiah. It is the one that God has promised from the very beginning of this book to send to take care of our sins. To make sure that we can live eternally with him. He is the Christ. That was in Peter's famous confession in Matthew 16. 16. Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, well, you're the Christ. Well, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You are that one. And he said, you're the son of God. So the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Now, second, uh, Thomas gives us a good example of this. We also confess that he is Lord. And old Thomas, he gets a bad rap. Remember, we call him the doubter, doubting Thomas. And he wasn't sure who Jesus was. I mean, he spent three years with him, but he still wasn't sure because he had seen him die on the cross. And he thought, how can the Messiah die on the cross? You know, that doesn't make sense to me. He thought the Messiah was going to come save us here on earth and all of that. So he was a little confused. But they came and told him, Jesus is back alive. He said, said, I'll have to see that for myself. Uh, I'm going to have to see that. I'm going to have to touch his hands and see where the nails were. Then I'll believe that. So Jesus appeared to him, and Thomas did put his hand in his side and see where the spear went and all of that. And when he was done, the doubter became a confessor, and he said, My Lord and my God. You're my Lord. That means you're my master. It means I'll do anything you tell me. That's part of the confession. That is what we confess. Now, that's Paul's description in Romans 10, 9. We'll read that a little bit later. A saving confession, he says, is saying Jesus is Lord. Everybody's ultimately going to say that. Paul tells us that in Philippians 2, 11. He said, the day's going to come when every knee will bow. And everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. For most of them, it's going to be too late. All right. Thirdly, how do we confess this? Well, there's a lot of Bible that says we confess it publicly. We say Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. We say He is Lord, and we do that publicly. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul said to Timothy, he said, You made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, so, so we make it publicly. Now, let's just take off on the side road a little bit and make sure uh, I, I cover this. I, I don't want anybody to take me wrong because I understand all the different kinds of people that we have here who have made a confession and been baptized. Let me just state it this way. I am not a fan of private confessions of private baptisms. Now understand this. I understand that there's no Bible that says how many people have to be there. In fact, one example, we've got one-on-one. The baptizer and the baptizee. Philip and the eunuch. Just the two of them. So I know that's okay. I understand that. I also understand timing. If I was studying with somebody on Friday night and it was midnight and they had studied the Bible and it finally came to the point where they were, they had believed in Him like we talked about and they said, I repent, I've changed my mind about how I've been living and about sin and I want to live the right way and I want to quit living the wrong way. They made that repentance and they said, I'd like to confess the Lord and be baptized. I wouldn't wait to draw a crowd. You know, I'd be happy to baptize them right then. I understand that. I also understand shyness. I understand that it scares some people to get up in front of 700 people. It scares me some Sundays. You know? So I understand that. I understand all about shyness. 
But still, my basic belief, this is my contention, that the more public, the better. Okay? Not because of the efficacy of the baptism. doesn't have anything to do with it. But about this confession part. The confession is telling people that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I believe he is the Lord. I believe he is my master. So, personally, I think more public, the better. Jesus says our confession must be before men, Matthew 10, 32. And Paul says this confession is made with our mouth in Romans 10. So it's something we say out loud if we're able to. Obviously, a mute person couldn't say it. He could acknowledge it with a head shake or whatever. So we're not legalistic on that. But the point is, when somebody asks, that's why we ask the question. If you've been here very long, you've seen a baptism in this room. You've seen somebody come to the front and say they want to be baptized, and whoever's officiating over that asks them, if I'm doing it, I say, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And they answer orally, yes, I believe that. That's a confession made in front of men. That's saying, I agree with this. And this is how I'm going to live my life. Some people add other things. They ask other questions. Some people say, are you ready? I've heard this. Are you ready to make him Lord of your life? I know it's nitpicky, but I don't like that. Because you're not going to make him Lord of anything. He is Lord. You're not going to make him Lord. You may acknowledge that he is Lord. You may agree that he is Lord. But it's just the tense of it there gets me the wrong way. Uh, I don't add that part. I just say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ? Fourth, uh, when do we confess? Well, let's read Romans nine, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. I think it will explain it real well. Paul said in verse 9 of Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That, That very clearly indicates that there is an initial, decisive confession of faith. It's a one-time thing. It's the first-time thing. At our, at, when you decide to trust Jesus, that you believe in him, that you've repented, like we talked about last week, and you're ready to obey him in baptism, you make that statement. It's a first-time confession, if you will. It gets even clearer if you read uh, the rest of 1 Timothy 6.12. We just read the last part of it a little bit ago. First uh, Timothy six twelve the second part said uh, remember uh, you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses well let's read the whole verse at the start it says take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses you get that you've got eternal life it happened when you made that good confession. 
And he told Timothy that he made that good confession in the presence of many. Now, remember who Timothy was? Remember last week? Which aisle he was on? Timothy was in the middle. He was a good boy. He was on the path to God. He'd been raised right. Hadn't done a whole lot wrong in his life, but at some point in his life, he understood that sin was against God, and he changed his mind about it. He repented. He already believed in God, and he came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. At that point, he confessed it in front of people. He said, I agree that Jesus is the Son of God. He is Lord. That's when he was called to eternal life. Now, fifth, we make it every time. Not just the first time, but every time. There is an ongoing sense of confession in life. We are called to witness to an unbelieving world. The first time is tied into that salvation experience that we'll talk more about next week. But there is a sense that we confess him in the way that we live and how we live. Being a Christian, get this now, is not a secret society. We're not supposed to keep it secret. I saw a guy the other day, I forget where I was exactly, but he walked past me and it caught my attention because on the side of his neck he had a great big Denver Broncos tattoo. Okay? Now, I know one thing about that guy. His favorite team is the Denver Broncos. Or maybe was, and he doesn't know how to get rid of the tattoo. I don't know. But I do know that he's a real fan of the Denver Broncos. Now, actually, I know some other things about him, since he has an orange and blue horse head on the side of his face. But, you know, beside the point. I can assume some things about him anyway. Um, Anyhow, do you ever see a real fan keep it secret? A real fan of a sports team or or anybody confesses it. Maybe not with a tattoo on their head, but they, they confess it. A real fan does that. We've got quite a few KU fans around here. They don't keep it secret. Yeah, there may be a KU fan somewhere that wears red and blue underwear but doesn't let anybody else know it. But most of them wear red and blue things and shirts with the name on it. And Well, they may be a little bit quieter today. I don't know. But even the real fans aren't. They're not, not a bit quieter today. They're probably looking for somebody from Oklahoma State to discuss it with. You understand the point I'm making. Fans don't keep it secret. A confession is, I'm a fan of Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord of my life. We don't keep that secret in life. Now, a confession in front of friends and Christians and all that, that's pretty easy, really. I know you may be shy and a little bit scared to do it in front of people, but it's still pretty easy. There are some places where it's harder, though. And we're called to still confess... When it's hard. When I go to a Wichita State game, I cheer and everybody around me is cheering for Wichita State. It's easy. I went to a Wichita State game one time in Peoria, Illinois, in the old Bradley airplane hangar. 
which was a death trap, but I was in there with all these Bradley fans. It was me and Gus Greeby, I think, were the only two Shocker fans there. Okay? It was a little harder to cheer. It was a little harder to be vocal and say, the Shockers are my team. I'm pulling for them. Not the same thing as confessing Christ, but the same principle. Sometimes it's harder than others. John 9.22 tells an interesting story. It's about the blind man and about his parents. And it says, they were afraid to say that Jesus healed their son. They believed it. They'd seen it. But they were afraid to say it. And the Bible explains it this way. They were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Okay, here's some people that believe Jesus had to be the Son of God. But they said if we admit that, they're going to kick us out of the synagogue. We're going to lose all our friends and our social connections and our standing and everything else. So we're not going to say anything. Sometimes we're called to do it when it's hard. Another story is in John 12, verse 42. It said, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, even some of the Pharisees, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, the ones that didn't believe him, they would not confess their faith. For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this now. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise from God. They believed Jesus was who he said he was. But the consequences with family and friends and socially and everything else, they were afraid to say anything. Because they liked people telling them they were okay. They liked to get along with people more than they wanted to get along with God. You know, there's a lesson in there. Okay? Young people especially, think about this. If you are to the point in life like Timothy was, you've been raised in a good family and all that, and you're thinking about sin and how it's against God, and you're ready to repent and be baptized and all, don't forget the confession part. This ongoing confession part means that when a group of peers want you to do wrong, or maybe when that one special person wants you to do wrong, what are you going to say to them? Are you going to confess who your Lord is? I mean, there's other ways to get around it. You can say, no, I can't do that because mom and dad would kill me. You know, that's a good answer. That's okay. But as we're thinking about this confessing of Christ... What a Christian would say is, no, I'm a Christian. I won't do that. I'm a Christian. I can't go there. I'm a Christian. I can't have part in that. That's confessing the Lord. Repeatedly in life, every time we get a chance. Even when there's a threat of death. Acts chapter 4 it tells that story, and we won't take time to read it. But the apostles went out and told people, Jesus is the Son of God. And they arrested them. They said, don't do that anymore. They said, well, we're going to. 
You can do whatever you want to to us, but we're going to keep confessing that Jesus is Lord. The word martyr, interesting word. We, we know what a martyr is today, somebody that died for Christ, but originally it just meant witness. It's simply another form of, of witness. And as Christians began to be killed for their faith in the first centuries, people started to use that word particularly for Christians who died. They're martyrs. In A.D. 177 in Lyon, there were a group of Christians. They were being scourged and, and branded and thrown to the wild beasts. And they told publicly, they said, we don't want anybody to call us martyrs. They said, that's a special term. That ought to be reserved only for the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross. And they said of themselves, listen now, we are but lowly confessors. Don't call us martyrs. We're just confessors. That's what the word means. That, That we confess who he is when it's easy and when it's hard. All right. I hope our verse means a little bit more to us now. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. If we agree that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord, and we, we do that publicly, and we do it the first time, and we do it every time, Jesus says, what I will do is agree that you're mine. I'll confess you before my Father. And that concept may not mean much to you, but understand that's the only way we're getting into heaven. If you go up there with a list of all your accomplishments, take your attendance record on Sunday mornings, take your contribution record, take whatever you want, and show that at the gate, you're not going any further. The only way you get in is that judgment day is if Jesus Christ puts his arm around you and says, this one belongs to me. I confess that he is mine. The only way to live eternally. So that's what that verse says. If we do this confession that we've been talking about today, he will confess us. He will agree that we belong to him. All right. Now you have an opportunity to put this into action. This is what we've been doing every week. You write your plan at the bottom of the sheet. Uh, We know one part of the book a little bit better now. We know what confession means. Hopefully we remember what believing in him means and what repentance means. And now we know what confession means. Speak this. Repeat Matthew 10.32. If I confess him, put it in your own words. If I confess him here, he'll confess me before his father. And at some point when you're ready, you act on that. You confess him for that first time, or if you've already done that, you confess him every time. Now, next week, we're going to talk about being baptized is the next part of the book we're going to know. So so come back and we'll take the next step. But let's close by talking about confession just a little bit. Confessing in this day and time. It's pretty easy. Oh, I know it may embarrass us a little bit. 
We may be a little shy about it. It may be a little hard at, at work or among certain friends or something like that. But understand, in the grand scheme of history, it's really easy. In America, in 2013, there are some places and some times when it's been a whole lot harder. Let me let Oswald Golter tell you a story about confession. He's a brother of ours. He and his wife served as missionaries in China for 30 years. They did it during Mao Tse-Tung's communist revolution. So it wasn't easy to confess that you were a Christian. Toward the end of his life, he would tell his Bible students, he taught Christian college, he would tell his Bible students this story. He'd say, one morning outside of Nanking in China, we heard the sound of guns. Before we could even get out of our bed, the communist soldiers had come into the mission compound and destroyed the whole station. And they took Oswald Golter and his wife prisoner. They took them to a camp 20 miles away. They put them in two rooms. It was a window between the rooms, a glass window so they could see each other. Now, you have to know, as Oswald explained, that every year of their married life, every day of their married life, they had knelt by their bed at night and prayed together. And one part of their prayer was always that God would help them to never deny their faith. See, we may not think of that today. But in communist China back then, you had to think about that. And that would be part of their prayer, that we'll never deny our faith And that was what the soldiers asked them to do. That was what the soldiers commanded them to do. You deny your faith in Christianity. You deny Christ in front of us. Well, since they'd prayed that prayer for so long, they both knew what the other one was going to answer. They knew how this was going to end. Oswald Golter would tell his students that they forced him to watch through the window As they raped his wife, as they cut out her tongue, as they pulled out her hair. Then they stripped her and branded her with irons. And in between everything, they'd come and ask him, will you deny Christ now? And throughout all of it, he said he could see her lips moving, saying, don't deny his name. Don't deny his name. So he never did. They finally drug her out, and he never saw her again. He doesn't know what happened to her. They moved him to another prison, and two years later, he escaped. Made his way back to the United States, and like I said, taught in a Christian college. Uh, He would stand in his classroom and tell that story with tears streaming down his face. And when he had finished the story, he would finally kneel in front of the men and say, Men, men... Don't ever, ever deny his name. See, in this time and place, we'll likely never be asked to make a confession like that. But the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, does call on us to confess. 
calls on us to confess as a condition of salvation and as a natural part of our Christian life. If you believe in him this morning, if you've changed your mind about sin, how you want to live your life, you want to confess his lordship publicly, we'd rejoice. Uh, we'd rejoice at that confession and because of what it means. We'd baptize you so that your sins may be forgiven. If you need to respond this morning and are ready to do that, let's stand and sing. You come to the front.